Lisa Cooper is a full-time novelist, non-fiction author, international activist against domestic violence, motivational speaker, sex therapist, and spiritual mentor. When you actually look at the perpetrator, whether it be male or female, they are already on a path of destruction. You're just around their energy and you get caught up in the whitewash and your world goes to shit. Lisa documented her downfall in an online book called Sex in the Suburbs, which became a global success. Lisa has also written guides for men and women concerning their marriages, affairs, and how to survive the rigors of modern life. And then my mum died when I was 16. I had a six-year-old sister. Was I sad? But I had a six-year-old sister to look after. I just dressed myself up in my mother's clothes. I was 16. I pretended I was 21. I walked into a modelling agency. I got a job off the bat and I worked part-time in Mr Whippy serving ice cream. Lisa continued to rise from the depths of being homeless and was recently crowned as Miss Australia International 2023 and will be representing her country in Tennessee, USA in July this year. The title is How to Have an Affair and Save Your Marriage. Yeah, can you uh, give us a bit of an idea in terms of the actual purpose of that book? Sure. Before we begin today's episode, I would really appreciate a review on whatever podcast platform you are listening to this on. This helps to get the message out there to men and therefore encourage and inspire them to level up their life. So without further ado, this is the Modern Warrior Podcast. I am your host, Gavin Meenan. Thank you for tuning in. Lisa, how are you? Can you? Yes. Brilliant. Brilliant to have you here. We've been looking to make this happen for a long time. So I'm delighted yes. to finally have you here on this podcast with me. And I know you have an incredible story. I know that story comes from a very difficult, painful background and experience in the past. And for the audience listening and for myself again, can you bring us back to a very painful experience in life to potentially what you felt at the time was the worst thing that ever happened to you in your life. And as you reflect on it now, it was probably the best thing that ever happened to you in your life. Right. Well, as I said, that's a huge question because there is not just one thing. It's, it was a pattern and a repeated behavior. So I don't actually single out any one thing. I, I think about my whole experience as a whole and how that made me feel. And obviously as the years go by and you process things, you begin to see the gifts and everything that transpired. Um, and it is a bit of a question that I feel like I can branch out into other areas from, but you know, obviously a lot happened to me. I, I had my house burnt down while my children and I were at home. It was Easter Sunday, uh, nine years ago. Um, you know, they, they, you were you were at home at the time. Home, yeah. I just recently separated. Um, we were working out separation of assets and things, and you know, the fire was investigated, and nothing was found. But the thing is, when when I look at that situation now, my family just wasn't fighting a case of marital domestic violence between uh, my husband and I um, if that's actually happening in the home that's actually inflicting upon the children and then 
things start to snowball and get completely out of control. I mean, the way you do anything is the way you do everything. So if my husband was acting unsavory in his personal life, then what happens is that starts to overflow in business. You start mixing business with pleasure and then you're not becoming a good parent. So, you know, obviously I'm an advocate for women of domestic violence and, you know, I touched on a book that I've written, this book, we'll get back to that in a minute, but it explains the why and the how. And because that was your other question that you asked me a minute ago, like when I try and and when I was in that uh, snowball effect of my whole world coming crashing down around me, before that house fire, there were things like, you know, finding things you shouldn't be finding, or phone calls that shouldn't be happening, or business trips that didn't happen. And this is, or let's just talk about this full, this affair book, basically, that shows you the signs. It it shows you how to recognize someone on that downward spiral towards having an affair. It's a little bit like a book of warning. So um, I'm quite well-versed in all things to do with affairs and signs. And not only that, how to navigate counseling a woman who is experiencing that and not just her, the children too. Mm-hmm. I am predominantly an advocate for women. But as I've said to you before, there are still men that suffer from domestic violence. So I don't just like cut her up and say, oh, it's, you know, all men are bad. We're talking about the masculinity. We had this massive women's movement and we've had one today, International Women's Day here on the 8th in Australia, which is all wonderful. We can get up, we can talk about our cause, we can bring awareness to domestic violence, think of avenues and things, how we can support these women which I've got to be one of them in a minute and I've got to park that there and come back to it. But men are also sufferers of this. So I'm mindful on International Women's Day. By the way, it's my ex-husband's birthday today, which is pretty ironic. (laughs) I think that's beautiful. Um, But yeah, men are equally just as important and that gets back to that whole family unit. So pain, sure, I've had a lot of it, but... Teaching women how to disperse that pain, move through that pain, process that pain without doing something that they might regret. I have this saying, never make yourself look ugly because somebody else has behaved badly. So if there's one thing that I held on to through that whole journey was gratitude. Mm-hmm. So I think gratitude and having a spiritual underpinning of self-love and all those things enabled me to not be destroyed by it. Whereas when you actually look at the perpetrator, whether it be male or female, they are already on a path of destruction. You're just around their energy and you get caught up in the whitewash and and your world goes to shit. But basically, you're not going to shit you might be affected by their behavior and get upset or traumatized temporarily. You might feel like, well, I, you know, I don't look good. I don't feel like, I don't feel that great about myself, but that's not how you feel at your core. That's a temporary condition as opposed to the perpetrator who's actually living in a hell. He's living in his own hell. So the other question you wanted to ask me in relevance to the question about what you're focusing on the moment, which was what? 
toxic masculinity? Because all of this, all of this is in this story. There is no bitterness and anger and hatred towards my ex-husband, which is what I teach women when I counsel them, which is what I talk about in this affair book, which well, okay, we'll show them the title now. It says How to Have an Affair yeah. and Save Your Man. Oh, it sounds so shocking, doesn't it? But that's a play on words. It's deeper than that. It's much, much deeper than that. And we can go back into that later. But um, the whole affair situation and the whole, you know, toxic masculinity and all of that and the way people are perceiving or men are getting pigeonholed, it's like I saw through that with my husband. The reason why I'm okay is because that didn't that that effect that reaction that response that has come my way that already existed before I married my husband unbeknownst to me it was a little now I'm not a psychiatrist but this is not rocket science when you sit down in your spiritual self when you are grounded as I am when your whole life is spent 80 percent in nature and your pineal gland is crystal clear and I can start talking all these spiritual terms I very rarely wear a suit. I'm 70% alone in nature, very organic, no hair done, no makeup, no nothing. As organic as it comes in order for me to see the truth in the world around me and my fellow human being and be able to read energies. So back to that pigeonholing of the male, I could see that that was something that came from his childhood. So before we choose our partners, before we get married, if there's any residue, if there's any unleft business, if there's any, from, and I know this from all the counselling, from all the men that have counselled, from all the women, from getting them all together, from actually having them communicate and talk in this book without fear of judgment, because this is a non-biased book. This is a no-holds-barred rave. I've put myself on the line. I've had the Christian church just going, oh, my God, how can you do that? But funnily enough, the New York Post loved it, MGM Grand loved it, and they're using it as well as my counselling methods in a reality TV show. Shock horror, most of them are just crap. But this is showing couples how they can recover from an affair. An affair is not the end of the world. Are you are, are, are you uh, the recommending an affair? But the title of that book, obviously I haven't written, I haven't read it, but the title is How to Have an Affair and Save Your Marriage. So men listening to this be thinking all oh, right i'll go and have an affair <laughs> it's like get you're letting them off the off the hook to do something like this so yeah can you uh give us a bit of an idea in terms of the actual purpose of that book sure when you look at the first chapter and in the introduction how we talk about christianity and what's happening in the home and how we're all pretending that we're all okay this is a book that's peeling back the veil pulling off all the bullshit oh, you shouldn't do this. You shouldn't have an affair in marriage. Oh, we're not having affairs. You walk into the Christian church and half of them are having affairs. Sorry, maybe not it's half, not half, but it's a lot. We've become a society of hypocrites. We're all pretending we're not doing it. We're not going to do it. A lot of people think about they're going to do it. So here I am writing a book that's actually non-biased, non-judgmental, and every couple needs to be taken on their own merit. If you're in a marriage and you're, you're not negotiating what that marriage certificate means to you before you get married, if you're in a business setting every year, you renegotiate that contract. 
we have marriages where people are growing apart and going in different directions, but they're hanging on to that marriage certificate for grim death because like in the you know in the dark ages, we've got to stay married. We can't get divorced. A divorced woman is like an absolute disgrace. We're pretending that everything's okay. And I'm telling you in this book that if we keep going down this track of pretending that everything's okay, it's going to get worse and worse and it's not okay. So there are more affairs now happening in relationships. There are couples that I've counseled where the woman has spoken and spoken and spoken and not been heard and not been heard. And there's been men. Um, the men have gone off to have an affair. The women are completely and utterly unhappy. There's been instances where she's gone off and had a temporary affair. He's found out and he's pulled his socks up and off they go on their way. It is not necessarily the end of anything. What it is, is a wake-up call. And if you use it as the wake-up call, that creates the change that you can implement to move forward to have a healthy marriage. In fantasy world, in reality world, we got married, we're never going to cheat, we're never going to do that. How do you know one person's not going to end up with an issue and a problem and they can't have sex? How do you know one's not going to get depression for five years and you can't have sex? My motto in this book is this. Please, before you get married, think about the fact that we're going to change over the next 5, 10 and 15 years. Try and have a relationship with your partner that's extremely honest no matter what it is. In other words, if you want to, if you want to have an affair, I know this sounds crazy, but if you want to have one, say you want to have one. I'm not, I'm not telling people to go up and have an affair. I'm telling people to think about speaking and communicating their feelings. Tell that partner of yours that if things don't change and we're not going to work together as a team, I need sex in my life and therefore I'm going to, I'm going to have to go out and get it. At least I've put you on notice. Sorry, women, but if you're not working and you're at home and you're running the household, listen to me, be honest here, seemingly against my fellow sister. You get your bags, you get your shoes, you get your car, you get your money, you get everything paid for, you get looked after and you don't want to work. But you don't give him sex. Both parties need to get what it is that's important to them. And to a male, his language, his love language, one of them, one of the greater ones, is through sex. So in this book, there are couples who have saved their marriages through the shock of the realisation that things need to change. Marriages have been saved by a woman having an affair and getting her love tank filled up and she starts to look like she's glowing and all of a sudden the husband takes notice and off they go. They're good. It, affairs have saved marriages. Unfortunately, that's the world we live in. Like I said to you, it's all well and good to say I've got married and I'm not going to have one. Personally, that's me. Personally, if anyone wanted to know my stance on it, that's me. But in having said that, every man I've interviewed and experienced after that or, you know, gone on, a, you know, a date with to see where his head's at, he has absolutely, and this is, this is, this is a tick for men, every single one of them loved the fact that I was open, honest, communicative, because men can be, and telling him what I want and what direction I'm going and what's important to me and how I feel and no gains. None of that, just if you like that and it suits you, great, then maybe we can have something moving forward. If it doesn't suit you, then we don't, we don't move forward. I think people need to start being more authentic and more honest and truthful, even if it's shocking. 
if you like orgies, threesomes, whatever it is that you like, if that's you and that's who you are, then you need to say so because you're going to end up with someone that you're not happy with and compatible with and you're going to end up in the divorce courts anyway. Nobody should be judging anybody and what they like. There's somebody compatible for everybody out there. So I'm talking about that in here. Find your partner by being honest and authentic. Think about the worst case scenario. Think about that and have that conversation with your partner so you know exactly what their thoughts are before something like that occurs. So my husband had, I think he had four affairs, maybe he had five, but he did have two at the same time at the end. And as off the Richter scale as it sounds, because I was processing how to keep my family together, because that was my choice was not going to break up that family unit as long as I could hide the, you know, the verbal abuse and the insults and the control of the financials. I was providing my children until they were a certain age with everything that they needed. It wasn't, it was only when my husband became an increasingly worse father as far as his time or his patience or his effort did I decide to cut my losses and say, now it's not in the best interest of my children? I mean, some people say, if, um, you know, if you can see the husband being derogatory, then, you know, you should have got out then. But there was none of that. It was so covert. You, I mean, everyone around me had no clue. This squeaky, shiny, you know, chartered accountant lawyer with all these little bells and whistles. There's no way that any of them would have even thought that possible. So... I kept my relationship and my marriage humming along. Those two women that knocked on the door, I invited them in for tea. One of them was complaining to the other one about him cheating on them and blah, blah, blah. And I sat down, literally gave them a counselling session and they left. And they said, how can you be so strong about this? And I said, because I put my house burned down. And I didn't run off with all the money. I didn't hide it. I didn't do anything. I gave them every available opportunity to fix that wounded child. I didn't look at my husband and think, the way another woman looks at the superficial and just the outer shell, I went deeper being spiritual. I went deeper and I think that's where, shock horror, I found some compassion. I found patience. So I was married for 15 years. We talked about his affairs. Why do you think you're having them? I don't know. Do you think they're more beautiful than me? Absolutely not. I mean, towards the end, he was even talking to me about how bad the sex was. So I say, why? And until you discover and understand your why, you're not going to heal. You're not going to move forward. You're not going to have a healthy relationship. But unfortunately, at my 15-year mark, I was done because I wanted to experience that reciprocation of what I was prepared to give out. So that whole experience... It's back to what you said, the bad moments, remembering the bad. Yes, I lost a ton of weight. Yes, I booked myself into a mental hospital for four days with my newborn baby when she was, or she was newborn, I think she was five weeks old. Those things happened, but they also happened because I had no net, no safety network. I had no mum, no dad, no relatives here. They're all in Ireland and England. And I didn't have that support network. Which brings me to why I'm here now, doing this conference for women, creating a motorbike group called Wheels and Dolls that has, what, 120,000 followers that support all these women. We teach women of domestic violence. 
how to ride a bike. And the catchphrase is instead of being beaten by a beast, ride one. <laughs> so that's for the women. But there are men that are wounded. There are women that are wounded. I can't help but get back to you and say, just because my story was domestic violence for a man doesn't mean there's not domestic violence towards a man from a woman. And I feel I have to say that because that's that's an area that probably needs more support. And 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 where you come in, Holly, you speak in a minute, but where you come in with your building of self-esteem for men, health, fitness, thoughts, feelings, emotions, you know, healing past hurts. You are doing exactly the same thing I'm doing, but from the male's perspective. And if we can marry that up, if we have healthier men, if we have boys becoming men and we have girls becoming women and hopefully ladies, then we're going to have more successful relationships. And we won't need honest books like this that actually tell you how it is and all the statistics and what's happening during COVID and, you know, how the family unit's been broken down by, you know, you've only got to look at media and what's happening with that and all the other things that are actually smashing down the family unit and trying to disintegrate it. We don't have those old-fashioned values anymore. They're all disappearing. Social media's become a farce. I mean, pick your channel or wherever you are because if your young men and your young women are watching half the crap on social media, media Include porn in that because I know that you're talking about that. And we've got a big problem. We have a big problem, yes. Mm-hmm. And I think it, a, a lot of it is embedded on a on a foundation of shame, and that's and that that is a post that I, I did put a post on my Facebook there a few days ago. But that post was from a seminar that I hosted with a group of men, and the uh, on the on the text on the post says that toxic masculinity is nothing but a made-up statement that's been used to to shame men because it's a label and we do a great job of judging people judging men i think i think men are harshly judged by women and by society at large we do a great job of judging them but we do a very poor job of trying to understand them just like you talked about, and that's why this conversation is so refreshing. When you talk about your ex-husband, you... It doesn't... <laughs> yes, exactly. So it's it's not... You, uh, of course, you can, you can assess his behaviors and his actions and his affairs and all of those type of things that would be deemed as toxic masculinity. But beneath that, there was this traumatized, scared fearful, unprotected little boy that didn't receive that love and connection at an early age. So he didn't have those solid foundations to to build his manhood on. The sad thing is when it's perpetuated in families, which it was, and I could see the way the father spoke to the mother, the way the mother became subservient. When you look at that role play and you look at the family as a whole, beyond just you two you can really see where this comes from I can look at my childhood which people could say shocking childhood I in actual fact should be well some would say screwed up I my mum's polygamous amazing beautiful woman church going which seems strange 
married to my father and gathered a boyfriend along the way, which she had for 30 years. So we basically had two men. My mother was focused on the both of them. My father was extremely spiritual. So I had that upbringing of being grounded, riding horses. I had the best life. I had the best childhood. But anybody else maybe in my childhood would think, oh, I got ripped off. I didn't have the typical family unit. My family were weird. I moved all the time. So, But for me, and this is a whole nother story, because I say we're spirits having a human experience and we choose our parents before we drop in from the stars. I look at the parents I've got and I realize why I had them. I realize why my mum took her boyfriend, the father, spiritual, her husband, the boyfriend, the father of one of my sisters. So there was three. Um, the other one was fathered by a man later down the track. But basically when I look at that and I look at my mum, who was an artist, an opera singer, eloquent, ladylike, despite her living situation, my stepfather, whom I called father as well, was, you know, more well-off, flamboyant, bit flashy, took us to the opera, bought us fur coats. So I would literally go from theatre, get educated and everything to do with culture, um, my education, private schools, not always, because then I'd come out of the private school without even knowing I'm coming out. I mean, it's in my memoir. My memoir is called My Shotgun Wedding and a Horny Goat. So that's a good title for it too, because I want to make that bloody funny, not just, oh, oh, it's me, it's all doom and gloom. I wanted to put some humour into it. Anyway, so I went from that being pulled out of school with my father on the back of his motorbike or his station wagon, and off we go and live at the Hare Krishnas. I had no clue. Or living on the Daintree River in Queensland with the crops, or off in the Buddhist monastery, or on a plane overseas. I mean, my mum did the same thing. She packed us up when I was 12 and 13 and literally went back to England and Ireland. Didn't tell anyone, didn't tell us all, packed up the plane and left. And I'm like, oh, this is so good. I, and then my mum died when I was 16. I had a six-year-old sister. Was I sad? Don't think I'm hard and tough. I am tough. And that's when you can get into the whole conversation about life and death and birth and why we're here and how we can um, see death through in a more healthier manner but I had a six-year-old sister to look after I just dressed myself up in my mother's clothes I was 16 I pretended I was 21 I walked into a modeling agency I got a job off the bat and I worked part-time in Mr Whippy serving ice cream and I literally rented a house and I told everyone I was 21 you could think so it was the 80s and I remember when I turned 21 and I told everyone that I turned 21 they all died of shock because I should have been you know yeah. after that so you've got to be inventive. You've got to be, uh, you've got to think outside of the square of the box. You've got to make sure you don't pigeonhole yourself into the victim mentality. I am so happy. Like, and I lost all my shit. So I went living in a caravan in a field. I had to re-study. I had to train myself in other areas. I did my creative writing degree. I did all of these things with the four kids in tow. So we didn't tell anyone I had four kids. So they were 12, 9, 7, and 5. And I did more after him and in the, in the years since him. Don't get me wrong, I did a lot of shit when I was with him. I was on fire after that. Doesn't mean it was easy. I remember sitting in a caravan writing my notes and doing all my work. But the pride that I had in myself, which is why I mentor women, 
was off the hook. And it's not blighted ego. It's not, I think I'm amazing. I'm wonderful. What's wonderful I feel about myself is what I have to offer other women, is what I have to offer the world, is my insight and the way I perceive things. And that, to me, after my experience with counsellors, and I did, I did commence studying for my counselling certificate and doing all that, I literally walked out because when I was experiencing the textbook methods, when I was experiencing my own counselling, which I wrote about in my memoir, I was bitterly disappointed. And I, I don't want to make this about a shame about all psychologists and all psychiatrists, but one gave me an incorrect diagnosis, as I've seen it, them do for a lot of women. A lot of them have their own mental health issues. Sorry, they do. Look at the statistics. And then also when you hand over money and they are taught to remain detached, when a woman is in absolute pain or a man is in absolute pain and you know that your $150 that you need to buy bread with and milk and food and get petrol, you can't afford $150. We get three free counselling visits. After that, you're on your own. You might get a little bit of government subsidy, but you have to make up the difference. No one's got, no one's got it. Some women who have got money are fortunate and they can do that. But so they're taught to withhold their emotions, to not fully connect and I heal women and men in a completely different fashion. If I'm a conduit and I'm drawing my energy down from the cosmos, down from the divine, and I'm grounding my feet every day, I'm a vessel that offers my compassion, kindness, and care, and, you know, all of those unconditional love. I'm offering all of me when I'm in a counseling session. I don't want your money. I counsel and heal people for free. Also, the women in my bike group donate services for free. Come to me when you're really in pain. And I obviously, I can't see everybody, which is why I wrote my memoir for those that I couldn't reach. But when you heal a woman and you're coming from your heart centre or a male, you can cry with them, you can feel your emotions, you can do all that, but you know what? You're okay. And you're okay because when they've left the room, you feel like you've done some good. You're not bloody exhausted like they teach you when you're you know, getting your certifications, don't do that. You'll exhaust yourself. You'll run yourself into the ground. What a load of fooey. No, when you know how to cleanse yourself in the stream, when you know how to ground your feet, when you know who you are and where you're at and what you're capable of and how to disperse and draw in energies, I could heal, let it go, heal, let it go, heal, let it go. It's as simple as that. And that I've found is the way that I've had huge success with the women and some of the men I've healed. Mm. Mm. Powerful. I'm intrigued. Can you can you give us a bit of an insight in terms of how you conduct that or uh, something you can give potentially the men listening to this and maybe there's some women something you can give them to begin that process of healing on their own? Yeah. There is one thing that comes to mind. First of all, stop worrying about what everybody else thinks. Because when we're trying to make a decision, when we're trying to heal ourselves, when we're trying to calm ourselves down, obviously there's breath work. That's an immediate rescue. Breath work is an immediate rescue for when you're suffering the flight or fight response. I've learned it. Your leg starts to shake. Your heart starts to beat 100 miles an hour, especially. I mean, I'm actually a sufferer of PTSD. I have the sufferings of PTSD. I know my triggers. 
I know when I read energies of people to move and step aside, I move before they're in my vortex. I don't allow it in. I can navigate my life in a way that um, my PTSD is managed. Obviously, when you remember your trauma, as in, you know, soldiers, and I've helped heal some of our war veterans and things, there's varying degrees. Mine is when I'm around someone who's being um, abusive or it's verbal or it's, uh, you know, denigrating or something like that. I'll have to move myself away, you know, otherwise my limb starts to shake. And also flying overseas because flying overseas for me was when um, my mum towards the end took me away from my dad without telling him. And I remember seeing him running down the runway in the day yelling and screaming for her not to take me. So I got very sick in England and believe it or not, this is quite horrific. I went, I don't know, I think it was 30 years or more without getting on an international plane. I didn't see my family, I didn't go overseas because that fear from that moment was associated with what I call an abduction. So when I went to America, five years ago for the first time and took my two kids, which is a whole nother story, took them out of school, homeschooled them, and now I fly backwards and forwards over the last five or six years to the States to live a full life. I'll be going again soon in about four months. But I had to learn from a very young age, breath work. I had to work out, I had to remember what my father said. I had to get back to basics. I basically had to heal myself. My mother took me to doctor to doctor to everyone. We don't know why she's got stomach aches. We don't know why she's not well. You know, I had to be smart and think how I could get myself through that situation. So that's the immediate response. After that is this, living in fear is the worst thing you could possibly do. And when you face the fear and you look at the fear, which is how I got on the plane and went to America, the longest flight, 17 and a half hours. And I couldn't even, I was in the actual terminal, flat on my back with my legs up the wall because I was hyperventilating and thought I was just going to pass out and my kids had to check us in. And then, you know, I shuffled onto the plane and it was just like, I made myself, I made myself choose the longest flight so I could face that fear and get it over and done with. And I got there, I was on the plane. I mean, I was on the plane, plane took off. Oh, this is fabulous. And it had it hasn't returned. So the question you asked me is all relevant to fear. When we live in fear, we don't heal. When we are concerned about what others think of us, what they might say, or living our own truth, we're just keeping ourselves in a place of being stuck and we're not healing anything. Does that help answer your question? Yeah, yeah, somewhat. But telling people to just stop giving a fuck about what anybody thinks or says about them or what they do is easy to say but very difficult to do so i've gone through that process i don't give a shit what anybody says or thinks as you can probably tell from my social media most of the time anyway i just put it out there and i uh i think the the truth is more important and the facts are more important that how i feel about it or how anybody else feels about it and if you are pissed off about it then good I brought something to the surface for you to work with, so take it with you and see you later. But yes, I've gone through that process. I have my own sort of ideas as to how to do that. But from your own perspective, okay, tell some you're telling somebody to uh, stop giving a shit about what they think or do. Just do it anyway. Well, that's very so easy sorry. to say. How difficult to do. What's that? Sorry. 
focus. So when I said to you, you're worried about what everybody else thinks. So when you're in that space and you're like, it's, it's really easy to say, don't worry about, don't give a shit. When you are focused on yourself and less focused on what everybody else is doing and thinking, and the focus on yourself means doing yoga, doing spiritual work, doing breath work, writing things down, starting a book, whatever it is, something creative, immerse yourself in nature, get back to basics, stop all the white noise, stop all the talk and the chatter, be an Indian, go sit in a teepee, my teepee's on the beach. Do you think I give a shit about anyone or anything when I'm sitting in my teepee on the beach? I'm literally there. I'm in that space. I'm in that moment. And I have taught myself it might take a while. It might not come naturally. But when we are less focused on everybody else and we're focused on our own health and our own well-being, we're feeding our bodies properly. I mean, you can't expect this epiphany to happen and this change to happen if you're like digesting junk or you're not looking after yourself. You don't feel like running, fine, go for a walk. Before you know it, you'll be running because the walk releases endorphins and then you're running. When you're running, you have a purpose. When you're running, you think and you you problem solve. It's not just running. It's getting out of that old pattern and creating new pathways and new patterns. And I always say, if you're really, really, really stuck, really focus on gratitude look at those trees look at the sand feel the sand texture i find that being grateful and having gratitude despite whatever it is that happened to you is the starting point of healing anything the flower the lavender whatever it is stop the noise and the chatter and look at something more simple and that's looking after you looking after your health obviously there's things that maybe people haven't heard of like Grounding the feet in the ground in the ground is one. The proper diet was young. I said sun gazing is another. I mean, there's a way to do it. It's late in the afternoon, but all of these things ingested into your vessel help bring the happiness, help bring the positivity. You can't treat it like crap and expect a miracle to happen to your psyche. You know. Mm-hmm. So I would yep. start. I, I I I you know when you build a teepee. No, I never, I've never built a teepee, so <laughs> please tell me. It's a metaphor for anything. You take yourself out into the wilderness if you go camping. You start a project or something. You know, we start one of our books. When you're focused on doing something, a funny thing happens. You start forgetting that. When you're building the teepee and you're putting one up, one up, one up, your thought is on building the teepee. You're in that moment. You're focused on that. And all of a sudden, all the other stuff just floats away. Do something creative and do something. Don't even, force creates resistance. So don't, we, you just said something to me a minute ago. How do you, you can't, you know, you didn't say you can't make someone, but you said it's easy to say, it's easy to say that. So you're right. If someone says to you, do this and do this and do this, well, that's not going to work because force creates resistance. So you have to plant the seed of them thinking of their talents, what they're good at to build their self-esteem up something they enjoy doing just get started i know you're suffering i know you're hurting do it anyway just start it and an amazing miraculous thing will happen and it did i mean i've I've got to hold myself now from not swearing because i'm so excited oh no swear away you can swear all you want here i am the proof i am living breathing proof in my five book series called model redress redress redressing the situation model redress 
then it goes through the other models in the series and I can't tell you, but it turns into a thriller at the end and it's based on my life where it started and it ends where my end life is going to end, hasn't even ended. This book is a manifestation series of my life. It's like I was here, I was here, I was here, I was here, and now I'm here. So I started to create the life I wanted. I started to manifest the life I wanted through the creativity of my writing. And now the two worlds have married up. I wasn't even in America when I started the first book about being an American woman in America. I manifested all the people in that series. They've all come into life. See, so manifesting the power of thought. When you see someone capable of that and they've done that, oh my God, it's so exciting. Like, like I would be so inspired by that. I'm like, well, hell, if that woman can get out of a fucking caravan with four kids in a field and end up Miss Australia at the age of 54 and still run a killer 25K and live an exuberant lifestyle full of real excitement, wouldn't you want a piece of that? Wouldn't you want to listen to that person? Wouldn't you want to be inspired and mentored by that person? And this is why I'm here. Mm-hmm. This is why I'm here. It's as much for everybody else as it is for me. I could even go so far as to say it's more for everybody else than it is for me because you and everyone out there and everyone I heal and speak to and that reads my books, this is why I'm here. This is my earthly purpose. Find your earthly purpose. Find what moves you to the point of extreme excitement and you won't get depressed a day in your life. It won't matter if won't matter what everybody else does. It won't, won't matter. It, it, it won't those things that used to pain you and affect you and cause you grief and trauma won't matter as much anymore. I promise. You uh, you touched on uh, manifestation there. And yeah, I've had a couple of conversations with other people on this podcast about that very topic manifestation. And it's something I've been trying to play with myself with in terms of, that sounds bad, isn't it? Try to play with myself. I've been trying to play with that myself, play with that myself. (laughs) Playing with that myself in terms of my own life and trying to manifest uh, certain situations. Um, But I have no... Uh, real knowledge as to how to actually apply it. So can you give me and of course all the listeners some insights as to how to actually start manifesting something better, greater, brilliant in your life? Look at who you'd like to be. Look at what talks to you, what inspires you. If you could be anything and anyone and do anything, what would that look like? I had no limitations as to what this character called Matilda in my book series was going to be and how she was going to do all these amazing things and feel all this self-love. And it's a little bit bit more complicated in that story. I can't tell you because I'll ruin the ending of it all. But we we have the tools and the means inside us to heal ourselves. We, we do. We have everything that we need to heal ourselves. We have everything that we need. I mean, we're energy. We attract our thoughts, our feelings, our emotions. What we think about, we bring about into our life. And I play games with it. So if you want concrete evidence and proof, there was the book, The Secret, yeah? And I've heard of it, yeah. Read the, what brilliant book. You read it, but you get to the end and you go, what if that's true? 
because it's not about anyone. It's not about a woman's journey and a story. It's only about that book called The Secret. So, you, I mean, no offense to the Bible, but you enter the Bible and you go, hmm, it's real. Because you can't see, and you can't see God. Excuse me, let me turn that phone on. You're okay. You see God. You can't, you know, it's not tangible in front of your face. It's just a thought or a feeling or what someone has said. It's just a belief. So when you're manifesting, think about what that person would look like to you. So I started something like one of my books was called Counting Feathers. So I decided to start counting the feathers along the beach. And one of my very first videos was me saying, I'm going to collect this amount of feathers. I mean, you know, I have the feather, I have the feather ink. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to collect today five feathers. That means when I run from one end of the beach to the other end of the beach, I have to pick up exactly the feathers that are in front of my face. So I'm, maybe people are still going to question this, but basically anyway, I would pick up the amount of feathers that I still was going to pick up. Then that became too easy. So for what connection was happening between upstairs and downstairs and my thoughts, you can't really explain it, but this is where it gets interesting. I started to do it with golf balls and it's the truth because I got videos of it. This doesn't mean I'm a witch. This doesn't mean I'm wacky. I do say white witch sometimes because that's someone who understands energies and how they work. I got so trusting and so believing it's almost like you pull it to yourself because you believe wholeheartedly and this is the direction that things are going to go. So I started to pick up the golf balls, but I didn't want to just pick up golf balls. I wanted to pick up golf balls in number one, two, three, four, five. Basically I did. I picked up one, two, three, five, and I'm talking over like a four week period. I was walking down the road and there's a video where I'm walking down the road and this at nighttime, I just finished my walk, nothing to do with my sand run. And in front of me, there's a fellow carrying a golf ball. And I thought, I'm going to have to ask him what number that golf ball is because I swear it's going to be a six. And I thought, don't be so stupid. It's not going to be a six. And I'm like, no, no, the heavens are talking to me. This is like really happening. The rest of my life has fallen into sync and gone in the direction that I've asked it to. So this is showing me confirmation that I'm hearing, they're hearing, I'm doing, and it's happening. Tapped him on the shoulder. I said, excuse me, can you tell me if that golf ball is number six? You chain it up as number six. So that book is called Counting Feathers. That's on video. That's for sure. I say, don't worry about the how and the when. Just wholeheartedly believe. And that alignment and that connection, that energy that you throw out will hear you and it will respond and it will come. And that's how my whole life works from the clothes I end up with, the things that I manifest from shoes or cars doesn't have to be a money exchange for you to get these things done. Basically, every single thing in my life is me putting a thought out there, whether it be a person, something happening, Miss Australia, my books, whatever it is, my shoes, whatever it is, I've put that thought and that energy out there and then I've let it go with 100% trust and I'm living, breathing truth through my books that I have received the things that I've it's the, it's the letting go part that I'm now a little bit confused about because my whole idea would be that it's a continual no. self-talk to yourself that I will create this. Like, for example, get up every morning and it's like, yes, I am this or I am that or I will be this or I will be that. And it's like trying to almost um, enhance that energy, that belief within yourself. So what happens on the outside? That was my interpretation about it, but... 
yours is like just trot out there and yours is a bit robotic yours is a little bit human in the matrix i'm talking be that spiritual being live on that plane live on that platform trust so wholeheartedly that you only have to give it well it's seconds of your attention because it's not the length of time it's not all of that it's that intent and purpose in those few seconds that you request it and you let it go and you forget about it and the universe will literally deliver it to you and i mean words are very powerful so i've gotten a few things that have shocked me but then when i've looked at my wording i've gone oh that was exactly my wording okay guitar play cowboy what do you think i got all of that kind of thing so the wording has to be correct. If you're well and truly really stuck and you don't know what it is that you need or want or desire or should have, and that's happened to me before, I've literally gone and I've meditated and I've said to the divine, the universe, all of, you know, all of that spiritual wonder, I have no fucking idea what I want. I got no idea what I need. I got no idea where I'm going. Please send to me what I deserve because I believe I'm a good person. You've got to be a good person to receive goodness. Try to be a good person to get goodness. Otherwise, it's not so easy. So do good to be good to receive good. So I asked, I said, I have no idea where I'm at right now. And then I just sat back and some beautiful things transpired. Some beautiful things came my way because I said, who am I to think that I have a clue when I'm in this mess and this muddle? back when I was with my husband. How do I know what I want? I've just chosen something really bad. I, my choices and my decisions are rocked. I don't have that ability to know what I want, what I want, hand it over, hand it over. I ended up in a field. I ended up manifesting a house. I got out of the field. I got certifications and so many things. I, I just wrote, 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 wrote. I manifested my editor. He was in his seventies. I had no one to help me. And that editor, by the way, has been with me. It's 10 years now. I was probably 12. So I've kept the people that I manifested to be my mentors, my guides, literally have just fallen into my lap. And, you know, for a long while there, they were working for free because they just wanted to support and help a woman in my predicament. And now we're the best of friends moving forward. So, so from that catastrophe came these beautiful relationships if you just trust like I did you just ask and you let it go and your path can be amazing I did say be a good person though you do your best to be you know even when I had no money and I had no things now I wear secondhand clothes I pass them on that's what I do I recycle I didn't used to I had everything new I gave things away don't get me wrong I spent a lot of money on clothes and everything else and I kept that momentum going because it feels good and it's good for humanity and it's good for people around me. So if you're working for the greater good of everyone, it doesn't matter if I've only got $5 or $2, I'll still help someone. Mm -hmm. Always help your fellow man and you'll find that things will come a lot easier just if you're in that mean and greedy and hanging on to money. Well, then you're not going to make money. And the men and the women that do make money and they're really greedy and doing all this, unless they're extremely narcissistic and egotistical, most of them are unhappy people. Of course, ignorance is bliss when you're full-blown narcissist and egotist. True. But, you know, that's pretty much where it's at with that. So start by doing good for others and good things will happen to you. That's that's where it starts. 
gave my shit away. I had nothing. I still, I'm not loaded now. I'm, I'm living a comfortable life. It's difficult being an artist and a writer. It's a little bit like this. But if somebody, if somebody needs something from me or some, somebody wants something, there's got to be no difference between you when you have a lot of money and no money. You have to focus on being a good, well-rounded person, no matter what. You've seen all those videos online about, I don't like how they're filming these people, but they're going out and they're doing all these good things for these people. And that perpetuates, that perpetuates forward. So when we do some good, they'll do some good. But you do notice that most of those people that haven't got a penny and they're really poor, they're more generous than the person with stacks of money. That's true. Yeah. I don't believe that. I don't believe the saying about money is a root of all evil, though. I don't think I think I'm fabulous with money. I think if I had money, I'd be helping even more people. So mm. it's just got that money, really. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, more money will expose expose more of the person, the true person that's within. Ultimately, that's what it is. I, I remember living in a shack at one point when we were building another house. I was in property developing. I built a lot of houses, made a lot of money. Houses were in vogue. Um, and I remember we had to live in, well, he called it a shack. I call it a normal house. We had to live in the so-called shack for about six months. That's when he had another affair, couldn't cope, hated it. It was awful, one in the state, left, didn't stay there much. I was at the back with the chickens, the chickens and the hens and the horses. And I'm thinking this experience is wonderful, but he just wasn't on my wavelength. He wasn't on the same path. So unfortunately that marriage dissipated. The only the only thing that's a little bit sad about it now is not having that family unit where you can be proud and go out as a couple with your four children. And four children is a lot of children. So I always wanted that. Here comes the husband. I could have stayed married forever. So here comes the husband and wife. They're successful and in school and they've got the children watching them get married. I mean, and now I don't have that. So I've had to refocus and look at what I will have as opposed to what I'm not going to have, but I've been a bloody good mother. Mm-hmm. And I, that, that is what I always wanted to be a mum. So I don't regret having a boy or a rest of it. I don't regret having to be a father and a mother. But I look at that and I think if I've done anything good in my life, aside from helping women and mentoring, counselling and writing and all of that, I'm extremely happy and grateful that I had the opportunity to be a mum to four kids. And raise and look after it with no regrets. Not looking back going, I could have, I should have, I should have done this, I should have done that. Now, they're the regrets that he's probably going to have. Maybe now, maybe later in life. And I never wanted to look back and go, geez, I really let my kids down. You're a dad. <laughs> there was nothing worse than that, letting your kids down. For sure. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Powerful stuff, Lisa. And uh, really enjoyed this conversation with you. A lot of insight and inspiration and information that we can all take with us to improve our situation, our lives, our relationships. So thank you. And for everyone listening to this, where can they find you, reach out to you, grab one or several of your books? Uh, Let us know. One thing, I have to say this. You thank me, I thank you. I say this to everyone I counsel, come across and speak. Always leave a person feeling better for having met you. And the second thing is, you're a teacher, I'm a teacher, he's a teacher, she's a teacher, we're all teachers. No one is better than anyone else. I like to think it's a mutual reciprocation of knowledge for based on 
our experiences, our life, where we've come from, and we should always listen to somebody else and never have that superiority complex where we think, I'm educating you or you're educating me. It's a mutual exchange of information. I love that. Me, I have a website. <laughs> so the most simplest thing you can do is probably just go to lisacooper.com. Excellent. And you're on all the social medias and all that too, so I know that. So go and check it out. I will add those links or that link below anyway and uh, check it out. And as I said, Lisa, this has been absolutely an honor and a privilege and a pleasure. So thank you. And until next time, I look forward to what you seeing, what you manifest next and, and how it comes about. So I'll be staying tuned. Thank you. Thanks, Garen. Namaste. Namaste. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of the Modern Warrior Podcast. If this episode has added value to your life, please share this episode on your social media platforms so that others too can gain the insight, information, and inspiration that they need in order to move forward in their lives. For the time being, stay strong and keep fighting the good fight.